are going to be getting back together again on May 31st. So put it down on your calendar. May 31st is going to be our very first Sunday back. And uh, I'm excited to see how we're going to do that. And and I know how we're going to do that. So I just want to explain to you, it's going to be still social distancing. We're going to have to mind our P's and Q's when we come because we don't want to be... Um, uh, we just don't want anybody to get sick because they come back the first time at church. And so I just want to encourage you, if you have a mask, I'm going to encourage you to wear your mask. Please wear your mask. And when you come, and when you do come, and you'll come in, we'll have our greeters will be out there. They'll be in masks, and they'll open the doors for you so you don't have to really touch anything. You can just come on into the sanctuary. And then how we're going to have everybody seated as, you're going to find that our Sunday paper is going to be in the pew. And if you see a Sunday paper in the pew, that's a spot that has not been taken yet. And so you'll have your Sunday paper, and you'll have your place to sit. And it will have all those Sunday papers spread out throughout the sanctuary. So we should have room for pretty much everybody, I think. But if not, you know, first come, first serve. So make sure you get here and get you a good seat. And uh, and we'll do that. And so it'll be really awesome. Also, I just want to encourage you as well. If some of you are not feeling well, go ahead and stay home. We're still going to do online. We're still going to provide it online so you can see it. And so it'd just be a wonderful time to get together. But listen, if you're if you got, if you're, if you don't feel well, just make sure, just go ahead and stay home. It'll be okay. And when you get over it, you can come on back, uh, the next Sunday. And so it's going to be a wonderful time until we finally get all gathered back together. I love the fact of getting all the what? The puppies back in the box. I'm, I'm excited to see that. I know that you're excited to see that. You have been so missed. You just don't know. Sister Nina and I, we just miss each and every one of you not being here with us. And it's been really strange for your pastor to preach to a, a bunch of empty pews. And uh, But it's been awesome. So I'll be excited. I know you'll be excited. So, man, we just look forward to each and every one, every, every one of you returning back to the Hills campus. So I'm excited all that God is doing. Continue praying. I want to thank you. Uh, those, all of you guys that have been tithing and sending your gifts and your tithes in. Listen, it's been wonderful. We've been doing excellent. And uh, I am very great. We are all very grateful for you guys that the mission of the church is still moving forward. And so we just very grateful for each and every one of you. One, two, three, four.
We are a nation under God, and I believe God intended for us to be free. We must realize that no arsenal or no weapon in the arsenals of the world is so formidable as the will and moral courage of free men and women. The price for this freedom at times has been high, but we have never been unwilling to pay that price. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers bearing crosses or stars of David. Their lives ended in places called Bellow Wood, the Argonne, Omaha Beach, Salerno, and halfway around the world on Guadalcanal, Tarawa, Porkchop Hill, the Chosin Reservoir, and in a hundred rice paddies and jungles of a place called Vietnam. They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom.
Well, good morning, Hills uh, Church family. It's good to be with you all on this Memorial Day weekend. Uh, we thank you for joining us here this morning. Uh, we pray that um, as you're uh, celebrating with hot dogs and hamburgers and all that stuff, hopefully uh, tomorrow, uh, that you would just think about um, those that have given uh, the ultimate sacrifice so that uh, our freedoms will be protected in this country. And uh, so, uh, you know, I was thinking about that this weekend. Uh, there's no greater love than this, than someone would lay down their life for a friend. Uh, Jesus said that in uh, his preparation before he was leaving. He laid his life down for each and every one of us. Uh, but we have, since our country was founded, over uh, half a million or more, uh, much more uh, souls that have uh, stepped in the face of uh, danger and for the sake of freedom and paid that ultimate sacrifice so that you and I can do uh, what we're doing today, as a matter of fact. In fact, I think about the news this past week and I think about churches that are being told they can't open. And listen, those folks died for the freedom of religion. So we're supposed to be able to meet and everything and this and that. And so I just praise the Lord that next week uh, we get to meet together. And for the first time it's been for a long time, I'm excited to uh, to see everybody uh, coming back to the uh, house of God so that we can worship the Lord in spirit and truth together. And I think that's just such an important um, aspect of it. But Memorial Day is such a special day special day for me. Uh, a lot of times we celebrate it once a year, but for some of us who have been there, done that, uh, wear that t-shirt, uh, listen, uh, we, <laughs> we think about it every day, let me tell you, uh, especially when we have friends that we know that have paid that ultimate sacrifice that we never forget. So uh, I want to thank you. Just pray for those families who have lost loved ones over the time. And uh, uh, think about our soldiers that are currently serving in Afghanistan and everywhere else in the harm's way. And just make sure uh, that you just lift them up in prayer. Man, they need our protection. They need, there's no greater thing you can do for them is pray for them. So I just want to encourage you uh, to do that this morning sometime and take that time out. also want to encourage you as well, on May 30th, we're going to be having a celebration of life for uh, Tim Balin. And so uh, that's next Saturday, and it's going to be right here at 1130, uh, East Coast time here. Uh, Sister Isaiah, those up in Illinois, they're on Central Standard Time, so they'll be watching it at 1030. And, uh, and uh, all they have to do is go to the Hills Campus com just follow the tags at the top and it'll take you to the live stream service and we'll be live streaming so we're just encouraging everybody uh we're going to be kind of like a test day for us on that saturday prior to sunday so uh, uh hills campus uh, family come on down uh on 11 30 we're going to celebrate tim balen and uh, what god has done in and through his life and to know that he is at peace with God, uh, eternal peace with God, because he's in the presence of Jesus, and he's there waiting for all of us to join him one day, hopefully sooner than later, right? Amen. So anyway, I'm just encouraged by that. And of course, uh, May 31st, uh, come in here uh, for our service. Just make sure the social distancing, all that stuff, just follow the precautions. Uh, you guys are big boys and girls. You guys know how to do that. So we'll just make sure and we do that, okay? And so today, uh, I want to get into the Word of God. This morning, um, we're still in the book of Acts, uh, but we're making some headway now. We're going to be uh, doing chapter 24 today, part of 23 and 24. And uh, so as we go in, I, I titled this, The Road Between God's Promise 
and perfection. You know, how many of you know that there is, listen, God gives us a promise. He gives us many promises in his word. And so, but from his promises that he's already given us, uh, there's a road that's in between before we meet him in all his perfection, before we meet him like Tim Balin has in perfection. And so this road sometimes can be very uh, rough and tough. And we, we're going to see today how God has just uh, instituted and directed Paul's footsteps and has looked out for him. And hopefully you can take what God has done for Paul and you can turn it around towards yourself and see what God is doing actively involved in your life today, especially those who are um, believers in Jesus Christ. If you're a child of God, you're always a child of God, no matter what happens, no matter what you see, no matter what you feel, no matter what circumstance you go through, no matter what it is, you're always a child of God, right? And so uh, God has directed your footsteps. He's directing your footsteps. So I pray that you're submitted to the authority of Jesus Christ. You're allowing him to lead you and guide you every step of the way until you breathe your very last breath. And I just want to make sure that you don't miss all the blessings that Jesus has for you. Jesus has so many blessings for you. His plans are perfect. And whatever it is in in your life that he has planned for you is perfect. It perfectly serves his purpose, but it's going to perfectly bring some sweet blessing for you. No matter how great it is, no matter how tough it may be, there's a reason for everything. And God wants us to know that he is large and in charge. You hear me say that all the time, right? So let's go to the Lord in prayer as we get started in his word this morning. Join me, will you please? Father, we just thank you for this time together. We thank you, Lord, that you are, in fact, large and in charge. Lord, you're sovereign over everything from the beginning of time to the end of time because, Lord, you created time and space. And, Lord, and you sit outside of time and space, but you also come into time and space, and you affect change, and you affect all kinds of different things, Lord. And so, God, we put our full trust in you, our full measure of faith in you. And this morning, I ask, God, that you would speak through my lips this morning, God, that everybody would hear exactly, God, what you would want them to hear this morning, and, Lord, that you would talk to their hearts and talk to their minds. And Lord, it's my heart that if anyone doesn't know you as their Savior, that this morning that they would commit their life to you right there where they're sitting. They might be in a living room, in a chair, whatever, having some coffee, whatever. But Lord, that Holy Spirit, you would do your perfect work and you would transform uh, their heart, transform, renew their minds, Lord, to uh, get in line with uh, your principles, Lord, rather than their preferences. And so God, just speak to all of us, Father. We give you praise and honor and glory for all that you're going to do here this morning. Just be a large and in charge in us right for these next few moments. And Father, we praise you for it all in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said what? Amen. Listen, many times we wonder why things happen to us in this life. Amen. I get amen? All kinds of things happen to us. Many soldiers in the past, as we're talking about Memorial Day weekend, probably wonder why things happen or were happening to them in the middle of battle. 
I think about guys who may be in a foxhole and they may be injured and they're like maybe saying, oh Lord, why? Why me? Or Lord, save me. Or Lord, get me out of here. Or whatever. Or maybe even I've seen some of them where they were, they said, ask their friend to take a note uh, to send back to their family telling them that they love them and that sort of thing. Wondering why, you know, things are happening. We do, we do that. We all have a road in life that we have to go down. Uh, but listen, it's between God's promise and it's between his, his, his perfection, his promise and perfection, which is the end when we stand in his presence. And so many of you will go through life, I'm sure, asking God, why me? Uh, why am I going through this or that or whatever the case may be? Losing someone I love, Lord, that was so good. It's not fair. Why, God? Why, God? And it's all right to ask God why. It's all right. You know, he understands your heart. He understands your plight. He understands how you're feeling. He understands you more than I could, as your pastor could understand you. Man, he's been there. He's been everything. He's, he is everything. He has experienced everything on a level like you and I would never experience. That's why he came to earth. That's why he took on skin and flesh. And that's why, so he could feel what we feel. He could, experientially, he could feel what we feel. He knows what we feel. He knows what we go through. He knows what we love. He knows when we hurt. He knows all those things. And so as we go in today, I want you to think about that. So that's why my title is between promise and perfection. So let's look from last week, beginning with Acts 23.11. I'm going to go to Acts 23.11 first. And if you remember, Paul was before what? The Sanhedrin, right? He was fixing to be shipped to the governor Felix in, in Caesarea, right? By the sea. And uh, so he was fixing to head that direction. And so they were kind of finishing up there uh, what they were doing with Paul in, uh, before the Sanhedrin. And uh, so I want you to put on your seatbelts. We're going to buckle up. We're going to go through uh, these scriptures this morning, talking about them a little bit. Acts 23, starting in verse 11. He says this, uh, verse 11, the following night, it says, and I love this, the Lord stood by him and said, have courage. You know, we could be confident that the Lord stands by us and tells us to take courage. He's there. He said, Paul, no, I'm right here. I'm as close as the mention of my name. In fact, I'm even closer than the mention of my name, Paul. I am with you. I'm in you. I'm with you. I'm upon you. And that's no different for Paul than it is for us as believers. He said, so we need to have courage for as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. So this morning, you and I will experience, this is what we're going to experience, the sovereignty of God. We already experience the sovereignty of God. Sometimes we're not really aware of it, but God is sovereign. He's large in charge of everything, like I always say, and he's in control of everything from the planet spinning and flying through space to those of us that may be right there in your living room right now. He's in charge of your heartbeat. He's in charge of your breath that you take. He's in charge. He is sovereign. He knows what you need before you even think or even ask about it. God knows everything about you, and he is sovereign over everything. And so he's operating here in Paul's life, sovereign. And we're going to see this this morning, and I want you to be encouraged by it. I want each of you to remember this for your own personal life, that, that, that God always notice it. It doesn't matter what happens. Church, God's got it. God has it. He has you. He has me. I think of Sherry Butler in the hospital right now struggling. 
you know? God has her, and we need just to lift her up in prayer, just pray for her, continually pray for her, right? God has her, that, that God would just show up and just give her comfort and give her peace, give her healing. Whatever it is that God has for her, that he's going to provide that for her. Or Sister Isaiah up in Chicago, Illinois, that, that God gives comfort and peace to her in the midst to know for sure that her husband is in the presence of Jesus, and one day real soon, like for all of us, we're going to be in his presence as well if we know Jesus as our Savior. So it's a matter. It doesn't matter what happens. God's got it. He's in control. Whether Paul is beaten half to death, think about this, God is still in control. I mean, he told him he was going to have a hard time. He told him it was going to be difficult, right? Paul will not die before it's his time. Why? Because God is in control. He's always in control. Jesus says, be courageous, Paul. I'm sovereignly in control of your very life. Paul, you have the footsteps of a righteous man, he says, right? Because I have ordered them for you, Paul. I have ordered the track that you must go. I have ordered the way and that you must walk. I have ordered the places that you must go. I stop you from going to places I don't want you to go for whatever my perfect will is, but I have it ordered for you. And we know that Paul was told going in Jerusalem, there was going to be trouble, right? Look at John 16, verse 33. John 16, verse 33. You might want to write it down as we go through these verses this morning listen to what it says here i have told you jesus said i have told you these things so that in me he says you may have peace jesus has told all kinds of things to his disciples preparing for his departure and he says i tell you these things so that you would have peace that you will have suffering in this world and that's what he told his disciples that's what he told paul he says you will have suffering in this world he said, but be courageous. Listen, folks, we got to be courageous. We got to be strong as a lion. We got to be courageous to know. Listen, Jesus doesn't, he's not surprised by anything that comes by us, that comes into us, that comes against us. He is always there and he is seeing us through. You can be assured of that. I have conquered the world. This is why. There he tells us he has conquered the world. And listen, I'm glad he's conquered the world. Amen, aren't you? I'm very glad that God has conquered the world on our behalf. And so it's such a such a wonderful 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 thing paul will be in rome and see jesus in that verse of scripture he says here no matter what paul is going through listen jesus is making sure that paul is going to make it to rome because there's a work to be done there's a gospel to be shared there are people's lives to be saved there's kings that he needs to speak to the gospel as was prophesied and we're going to talk about that here in a minute listen god sees all of your tomorrows isn't that, isn't that assurance? That should give you some great assurance this morning. Every single one of them, he sees all your tomorrows. Abraham, think about this, waited such a long time for that promise to be fulfilled. Did he not to have a child? I mean, come on, the dude was 100 years old. Jeez, that's, that's, that's big time, right? That's a long time of waiting, right? And some of us can't even wait six weeks while we're out of church, right? And so think about this, a hundred years waiting for a child for that promise, that promise to be fulfilled, man, that's a long time between God's promise to Abraham and the fulfillment of it. And so we see this here this morning. Like Moses waited a long time in between in the desert. He waited a long time. He sees the burning bush, and then he's finally told to go back to Egypt. And listen, this dude is 80 years old when he goes back to Egypt. So listen, congregation, some of you are just getting started. 
So I just want you to know that. It's, it's very important for us to understand that God gives you the power and the ability and the opportunity to serve him, to do, to serve others. And how you serve God is by serving others. And so many of us in our fellowship, we do that. I, I come up yesterday just to kind of get away. and have. I had a lot of crowd at my house yesterday, so I want to come up here where it will be peace and quiet. And when I come up, man, I just saw like busy bees, people out here uh, edging, cutting, weed eating, cleaning, doing stuff. And I was like, wow. So anyway, uh, but anyway, it became quiet after a while. So it was just good, you know. And I just thought, man, they're just serving the Lord. And they're serving the Lord, making his place, being good stewards of what God has so richly blessed us with, right? And also, you know, so Moses waited a long time to see that burning bush and to go back to Egypt, right? And then, and then here in this story lies the truth, the sovereignty of God. In this story that we're going to undertake today, what happens to us between promise and his fulfilled perfection this is what i want you to focus and zero in on i want you to zero on 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 god's life for you on the road that you're traveling right now you may be hurting you may be struggling you may be financially hurting relationally hurting you might be uh suffering because of a loss of someone you may be sick you may be i don't know what you're going through but listen you may be on the mountaintop you may be like going you know and so god wants you just to listen think about the road in between between his promises and perfection. So number one, I want you to write this down. Number one, here's my first point. I got really two points this today. Number one, we must always trust in God's what? Sovereignty. We can trust. We must always trust in God's sovereignty every single time. And last week we mentioned this. Let's read together in verse 12. When it was day, think about these guys. The Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under a curse neither to eat nor to drink until they had done what? Killed Paul. There were more than 40 who had formed this plot. These men went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have bound ourselves under a solemn curse that we won't eat anything until we have killed Paul. I think they got pretty hungry. What do you think? So anyway, uh, so now you, uh, along with the Sanhedrin, right, make a request to the commander that he bring him down to you as if you were going to investigate his case more thoroughly. However, before he gets near, we are ready to kill him. So now not only these 40 guys are wanting to kill him, right? As I said last week, the Sanhedrin, they're trying to bring the Sanhedrin, the council in, underneath that blanket of sin to do what they should not be conspiring to do. It's an evil plot, and it's terrible that they're doing this. And so look here, they're conspiring that evil plot. Forty Jews looking to kill Paul. These Jews are evil, and they desire to also bring all this Sanhedrin in on. We see here that evil loves company, and you'll find that. Evil does love company. They'll always try to, they'll always try to get you in underneath that blanket of sin uh, to, uh, to make them feel better about their sin. That's, that's one reason that they do that, so to get people into it. And as I said last Sunday, where are the Ten Commandments here? These are Jews. These are Jews who are supposed to be following the letter of the law, right? They're not believers in Jesus, but they're Jews following the letter of the law. Even the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees following the letter of the law. Where are the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not kill, right? Where are they? They, don't, they just throw them out in their anger. They've broken and thrown out their own laws. And that's such a shame when we see this. The devil has conspired a plot with these lost Jews, and that's what he's done. Now the story takes a turn, and Paul appears to have this family member. And so listen, we're talking about what today? The sovereignty of God. 
Check this out. This is really cool. Let's read. In verse 16, it says, But the son of Paul's sister, hearing about their ambush, came and entered the barracks and reported it to Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the commander because he has something to report to him. So he took him, brought him to the commander and said, The prisoner Paul called me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. And then the commander took him by the hand, that's key, led him aside and inquired privately, what is it, young man, what is it that you have to report to me? And then uh, in verse 20, says, the Jews, he said, have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the Sanhedrin tomorrow as though they are going to hold a somewhat more careful inquiry about him. Don't let them persuade you because there are more than 40 of them arranging to ambush him. Now they are ready. They are waiting for a commitment from you. So the commander dismissed the young man and instructed him, don't tell anyone that you have informed me about this. Isn't that, what a turn of events right here. What a turn. See the sovereignty of God here? This is really amazing. Now we've seen the divine providence of God in the life of Paul. We see that we're experiencing this right here in this scripture. We see God working in a very young boy. And how we know he's a young boy, what did the commander do? He said he took him by the, the hand and pulled him away privately. Listen, you're not going to. You're not going to grab another man by the hand. He'd probably punch you out, right? And uh, so this is uh, apparently a young, young, a very young boy, probably 11, 12 years old. And he takes him by the hand and says, hey, what do you have to say? And so you see God is intervening in the midst of the plot for Paul to be killed. That's what he's doing. This young boy is told by the commander not to tell anyone. So folks, listen, when we surrender to the sovereign will of God, it must be for us a total surrender. Do you think Paul was totally committed to Jesus? Absolutely. He wouldn't. Listen, why would anybody go through the stuff that he went through and stay committed to Jesus? Because Jesus is. Jesus was. Jesus is the life giver for him. Jesus is God. Jesus is everything to Paul. And so Paul is going to follow. Jesus saved Paul's life, just like he has saved your life and my life. Of course, we need to be following out Jesus. So listen, and, and, and when you do a complete surrender to God, man, you better look out. Folks, be ready to be humbled by the power of God in your life. I'm sure Paul was very humbled when his nephew as supposedly hears whatever the plot was, so he must have been around in the Jewish circles that he was. Uh, I didn't even realize he had family right there, but yes, he lived in Jerusalem. He had family. He was a prominent Pharisee himself at one time before Jesus had changed his heart. And so, you know, and so he had family members there, and they happened to be there. They happened to be there to hear this young boy, happened to hear what was going on. And so he uses them. So God uses this little boy. And I was thinking about it. I said, well, how about the boy that God used with the loaves and fishes, right? He took the boy's lunch, and then he fed over 5,000 people, the Bible says. In fact, the truth is probably anywhere from ten to 15,000 people because that just was the men, not the families and everything, right? Or I think about the fishermen. He would take fishermen. He would take fishermen and make disciples out of them, right, and send them on their way to be his disciples, his students, his apostles. God takes, has a way of taking the least of these. And I, I, I love this. In fact, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27, it says this, and it's very important. It says, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. 
And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world. What is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing what is viewed as something. Isn't that amazing? That's the kind of God we serve. God takes these foolish things of the world to confound the wisdom of the wise people. I look at it this way. God loves the underdogs. How about that? I think, God, you ever root for underdogs in the football field, you know? Uh, I am kind of have a habit of doing it. If I see this big prestigious team, and they're undefeated and all this kind of stuff, and they play like a little state team, you know, and they come in, and then the state team just murders them, right? So I love that. I love the underdogs. I root for the underdogs. But anyway, and so does God. God roots for underdogs. So what a great God we serve, amen? We do. So here's my question for you this morning. Think about this this morning. Listen, folks, are we weak enough to be used by God? I think that's a great question. Are we weak enough to be used by God? Never think, folks, listen, never think God can't ever use you, ever. God can save and God can use by many or he can do it by a few. By you, by one, little O-U, insignificant you. You're the very person that God wants to use. No matter how insignificant you may feel, God wants to use you. Never think he can't use you. Man, I think of little David against Goliath, the big giant. You know, I'm almost as tall as him, right? So not quite. He was nine foot and something. So anyway, but little little David, little young David, little young David with a little slingshot. He used him to slay the mighty warrior of the Philistines. Amazing, right? God, he loves the underdogs. I'm telling you, he loves them. I think about Gideon, right? The Gideon who was a farmer. He was a farmer. And he had 30,000 men. And God said, nope. <laughs> and they started decreasing, decreasing. And they ended up with what? 300 against Midianites who were too numerous to even count. There were so many of them there. And how did they defeat him? Man, with a clay pot. And torches inside the pot. That's what they did. They busted the pots, run the torches up. They started blowing their trumpets and their horns all the way around. Scared the Midianites half to death. That would probably scare me out of my sleep and stupor, right? And they ended up killing each other and running off. And that's what they did. So here, Gideon, he was called a valiant warrior, right? When he was a farmer, and he's like, God, me? Me, a farmer? (laughs) And he used him. He takes the foolish things of the world, right? We see a young, beautiful Jewish girl, right, by the name of Esther, who rescued her nation from the annihilation from what Haman was trying to, uh, was trying to happen. He was trying to destroy the Jews, to kill them all. He wanted to kill them all. But this young, beautiful Jewish girl ends up getting married in the king and has some pool up there, and rescues the entire, and she was brave, man, read that story, it's an awesome story, it's a wonderful story, you need to raise, and listen, next, be ready to amaze, if you're not amazed, right, be ready to be amazed, all right, and so here we are, verse 23, he summoned two of his centurions, and said, get this, man, get 200 soldiers uh, ready with 70 cavalry, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea, right, at nine tonight, also provide mounts, so that so that they can put Paul on them and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. Look what happens, folks. Look at the sovereignty of God. Look at this, sovereignty of God. Listen, God moves 200 soldiers, 70 cavalry, right, and 200 spearmen. Think about it. That's a total of 470 soldiers or bodies for just one little old person, the apostle Paul. 
Isn't that amazing to you? For his protection. Now that's God. That's only God. That's the sovereignty of God. When it comes to God's sovereignty, (laughs) I've heard it said this. We must trust the past. That's the mercy of God. We must trust the present. That's the love of God. Think about it. And trust the future. (laughs) That's the providence of God. And so here we are. Folks, trust is a must with God. We must trust God with our very lives, inside and out. Now, while Paul is in Caesarea, he will witness to two governors and a king. In Acts 9, Jesus tells, remember in Acts 9, when uh, Paul was on the road to Damascus, right? And he's struck by this bright light, and he falls down on the ground. And so Jesus appears to him saves him, tells him to go into Damascus. You're going to meet this dude by the name of Ananias, and he's going to give you some further instructions, right? And so when he gives him further instructions, he tells him. He says he goes before Ananias, and, and he, he's, he's, he says, uh, Ananias tells him, he says, listen, you're going to be God's witnesses to the Gentiles, to kings, and Israelites by the power of God. And that was God's plan for Paul. And here is Paul going to Felix the governor to be a witness, and we're going to see here in a few minutes. We won't read, I'm not going to read this, the, right after these verses, there's, a, there's a, a letter that finishes out 23 that the commander has to deliver to Felix the governor explaining why they're bringing Paul to there. So we're going to pick up in Acts 24 in verse 1. So let's do that. So we must always trust what? God's sovereignty, number one. All right, here's number two. We must strive for a clean conscience. And is your conscience clean this morning? We must strive for a clean conscience. Let's look at the accusation against Paul. In verse 1 of 24, it says, After five days, Ananias, the high priest, came down with some elders and a what? A lawyer named Tertullus. These men presented their case against Paul to the governor. Now the accusers show up. Listen, with their attorney, go figure, with their attorney. So here they are, one of those slick ricks, right? That's what they're doing. They got a slick rick attorney. I don't know. I hope you're not rick and I hope you're not attorney. Anyway, but listen, you know what I mean. So, so, so he shows up with his attorney, right? And, he's, and, 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 and so listen, when you don't know what to do, folks, we just need to do what the right thing, the next right thing. When we get in a situation like this, and we're like, oh, man, what's going on? It's all coming against me. What should I do, God? What should I do? Listen, just do the next right step. Do the next right thing. Do the right thing, and watch what the sovereignty of God does. Take that right step. And we will see three people in these, uh, in these following verses. You're going to see Felix, the failing governor, right? And then you're going to see this flattering lawyer. And then, finally, you're going to see this faithful man named the Apostle Paul. Paul is delivered to Felix. He is. He's a failing governor. He is not a good leader. In fact, he was a slave brought out of slavery and put in that position by his brother who lived up in Rome. He's failing. I mean, he had three failed marriages, and then Drusillus, who we're going to hear about here in a few minutes, he marries her, and he takes her. She was already married to somebody else. And while he, Felix, was married, and then he goes and, and just kind of woos her to himself and takes her from her husband. And he just, I guess he ditches his own wife. So, and then he marries her. So this guy is failing. He's a failing leader. Uh, Felix was also ruthless, and he was also brutal, right? He's a brutal man. He was famous for his cruelty. 
And so he is a failing lawyer. So we see this. So next we see the flattering lawyer. Look at verse 2. It says, when he uh, was called in, Tertullus began to accuse him, Paul, and said, since we enjoy great peace because of you, <laughs> I can see where this is going already, right? And reforms, so he's talking to Felix, right? And reforms are taking place for the benefit of this nation by your foresight, Felix, right? We acknowledge this in every way and everywhere, most excellent Felix. With the um, We just talked, he said, he's a failure. Felix is a failure, and he's gotten rid of later on and because he's, a, he's such a, He's such a, a huge blunder, is what he is. And so here we got this lawyer buttering him up, right? Uh, excellent Felix with utmost gratitude. However, he says, so that I will not burden you any further. He's not burdening, he's buttering him up, right? He's sucking up to him, right? He says, I beg you in your graciousness uh, to give us a brief hearing. For we have found this man to be a plague or a pest, an agitator among all the Jews throughout the Roman world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Notice he uses the word Nazarene. This is the only time that you hear this word Nazarenes used in this kind of a context throughout. If you remember in the Gospels when they were said, hey, when they're talking about Jesus being a Nazareth, is it does anything good come out of Nazareth? Because there was not a whole lot of good in Nazareth. It was kind of like a depotry city you know and it was just it was a trade city everybody traveled through but there was a lot of immorality that took place does anything good come out of nazareth so this attorney he knows about this so these nazarenes right this is what he's calling the church he even tried to desecrate the temple so we apprehended him and wanted to judge him according to our law uh, but but Lysias, the commander, came and took him from our hands with great force, commanding his accusers to come to you. And by examining yourself, you will be able to discern all these things we are accusing him of. The Jews also joined in on the attack, right? Alleging that these things were so. So the lawyer, the Jews are accusing, accusations flying in the face of Paul. And this lawyer butters up Felix. He's lying to him, obviously. He is ruthless. He's like the hired gun to the Sanhedrin. He's like, they're hired going to come in here. A good, bad lawyer, that's what he is, right? He delivers three charges to Felix. Notice, three, three. The first one was, was a, it was a personal charge, right? That Paul is a troublemaker. He's a pest. He's a plague. He's a disease. He's this. He's just causing all kinds of problems uh, in Jerusalem, this and that. And we see that's a personal charge. Then second, he was, uh, he was given a, he was like uh, charging with a political charge. Look at this. Paul stirs up riots. He stirs up riots, you know, in there. And so that's what he did. And then thirdly and lastly was a religious charge, right? Paul profaned the temple. Remember a few uh, chapters ago about uh, Trophimus? Well, they thought that Trophimus were brought into the temple to desecrate it and all this kind of stuff, which wasn't true. We know that wasn't true. Now we see the faithful man. Now we turn, uh, we, saw the, uh, we saw the failing governor. Now we saw the uh, the sweet-talking uh, sweet lawyer, bad lawyer, and now we see uh, uh, the faithful man. So Paul stands up, and Paul doesn't mix words. He doesn't mess up. He knows exactly what he's going to say, right? So Paul says in verse 10, he said, When the governor motioned him to speak, Paul replied, Because I know you have been a judge of this nation for many years, I am glad to offer my defense uh, in what concerns me. Now, Paul doesn't really butter him up. He just kind of tells him, hey, you've been here a very long time, right? That's the only thing that Paul could come up for Felix was he had been there a very, very long time. 
Uh, you, can be a, you can be a teacher for a very long time. Doesn't mean you're a good one, right? You can be, you can be whatever for a very, very long time. Doesn't mean you're a good one. And so that's the best that Paul can come up with. Uh, so he's not, he doesn't butter him up. So there's no flowery, flattery words there uh, for Felix from Paul. Look at verse 11. He says, you are able to determine that it is no more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. They didn't find me disputing with anyone or causing a disturbance among the crowd, either in the temple complex or in the synagogues or anywhere in the city. Neither can they provide evidence to you that what they now bring against me. But I confess this to you. I worship my Father's God according to the way. Remember the way, the Christians, right? Which they call a sect, believing all the things that are written in the law and in the prophets. Paul is saying, I believe everything that you believe in the law and in the prophets. Everything is there. And I have a hope in God, which these men themselves also accept. Remember the Pharisees did, that there is going to be a resurrection. All right, now we know, we, uh, we know that the Pharisees believed that. The other ones the, did not, all right? And so, and so we, we, the, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. Both the righteous and the unrighteous. In verse 16 says, I also do my best to have a clear conscience toward God and men. You need to probably underline that, clear conscience, underline that. After many years, he said, I came to bring charitable gifts and offerings to my nation. And we know that Paul brought all kinds of money given from the Gentiles to help the folks in Jerusalem. We know that, right? And so, and while I was doing this, some Jews from Asia found me ritually purified in the temple without a crowd and without any uproar. He said, it is they who ought to be here before you to bring charges. If they have anything against me, either let these men here state what wrongdoing they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin, or about this one statement I cried out while standing among them. Today I am being judged before you concerning the resurrection of the dead. And verse 22 says, since Felix was accurately informed about the way, so he knew about it, he says, he adjourned the hearing saying, when, well, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will decide your case. So Felix <laughs> wants to wait for Lysias to come. So he puts Paul on house arrest. This is what he does. And so Paul answers these three charges that this slick lawyer had brought, the personal and the political and religious one. The first one was, he goes, I was only in Jerusalem 12 days. He says, I brought money to help my people. He said, I wasn't even there long enough to get in trouble. How could I possibly get in trouble in 12 days, right? And then number two, he says, he says uh, as far as the p- p- political one, he says, he, says, he says, I'm not a leader. I just believe the Old Testament regarding the resurrection his promises, just like my Jewish brothers and sisters believe in the Old Testament, the Torah. That's what he's saying there. I'm not here. To, I'm not a leader to inside a riot. Not at all. And then thirdly, he says, he says he never took a Gentile into the temple area. So he didn't do that. So Felix knew. Felix knew that Paul was being truthful. He knew that. So here are, there are two aspects to Paul's faithfulness I want us to see here this morning. Number one is Paul's conscience. Paul's conscience. The word conscience means with, con, with. Conscience is knowledge. We all have, with, we are with knowledge. We have a conscience. It tells us. Uh, in verse 16, he said, I always do my best to have a what? A clear conscience toward God and toward men. 
Yeah, because if you don't have it toward God, you're not definitely going to have it clear towards men. So you got to have a clear conscience toward God and man. Paul has a uh, built a has a built-in warning system inside his body. It's his conscience. You have it. I have it. We all have it. Uh, what pain is to our body, so our conscience is to our soul. Think of it that way. What pain is to our body, so our conscience is to what? To our soul. It brings guilt when we know what the right thing is to do. And we, we're like debating whether to do it or not. It brings, it brings that, right? It brings pain. All right? It brings guilt. Our, our conscience can be defiled. We know in the scriptures it can be defiled by turning from what is the right thing to what is the wrong thing to do. Uh, that is right. And so we can defile our conscience. In Hebrews, it says we can have an evil conscience, an evil conscience, right? And one must wash away with what? The watering of the Word of God. You want your evil conscience washed away? You've got to do it by the Word of God to wash it away. We need to do that. Paul warned Timothy. He warned Timothy, he says, he says of having a seared conscience in the last days. People, people so used to telling lies that their conscience would be branded by Satan himself. And so when we knowingly sin, we defile it. That's what happens when we sin. If we don't confess our sins and get right with God, we will find it easier and easier to continue on in that sin. We will find it easier and easier to do it, to do something wrong. How can people sin openly and not think anything is wrong? Think about that, especially as a, for a Christian. How can you do that and continue on and on and on? It's because their conscience has been seared. They believe evil is good and good is evil. A seared conscience. In this world, we see the script has been flipped in our world. There were years back where it was more of a moral, we lived in a moral society more, and today it's more immoral. In fact, the immoral, when you look at all the different things that everything is supposed to be good and beneficial and all the stuff, abortion, uh, homosexuality, lesbianism, transgender, all that stuff, Listen, that's all flipped. God says those are abominations. God says that he's a God of life, not of death. He doesn't want us to kill unborn babies. He doesn't want to do it. It's a baby. For crying out loud, it's a baby. It's going to be born a baby. It is a baby at conception. So, so, but, but the world, the wicked world has flipped the script on what God says is the truth. And so we have to understand that. And how we understand it is by knowing the word of God. And so we need, to, we need to look at this. So when you find yourself in between the promise and perfection and you don't know what to do, listen, folks, just do the right thing. Take the next right step. One day at a time, do the right thing. No matter what, do the right thing. To keep offense away from God and man, do the right thing every time. You can't ever go wrong, folks, with doing what is right. Doing what thus saith the Lord. Doing what his word says. Look at verse 23. He ordered that the centurion keep Paul under guard, though he could have some freedom and that he should not prevent any of his friends from serving him. After some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, there she is, who was Jewish, uh, he sent for Paul and listened to him on the subject of faith in Christ Jesus. Now, he's under house arrest, and think about what's happening here. Now, as he spoke about righteousness, self-control, <laughs> uh, right, what Felix didn't have, and the judgment to come, Felix became afraid and replied what? He says, leave for now. But when I find time, I'll call you back, Paul. Just like, get away from me. I don't want to hear it anymore. Go, and I'll call you back, right? He says, and at the same time, he was also hoping uh, that money would be given to him by Paul. Uh, for this reason, he sent for him quite often and conversed with him. And after two years had passed, 
Felix received a successor, uh, Festus. So he didn't last long. Two years passed. New governor comes in. And because he wished to do a favor for the Jews, Felix left Paul in prison. So, folks, we must strive to do what? To have a clean conscience. Do you strive to have a clean conscience? Listen, number two, Paul, Paul here is consistency. So we looked at uh, number one was Paul's conscience. And look at number two, Paul's consistency. These are the silent years of the Apostle Paul for two years. Nothing really written about him, nothing anything. There's only one thing that happened in these two years, the fact that he got to go before Felix and share the gospel message with him. That's all that we know. He tried to share. Every time Paul went to the prison of Felix, he spoke about his faith in Christ. He reasoned to him for righteousness. Felix is unrighteous. Paul says to him, there is a righteous God, and we will all meet him. Felix, you will meet him one day. Paul spoke on temperance and self-control, fruit of the Spirit stuff, right? Reason with him in judgment to come. He said, Felix, he said, there is a governor that is higher than you. Felix trembled at Paul's words, uh, bring conviction. So Felix put off making the decision. He put off making the decision. Listen, folks, this is so important. Procrastination is the thief of time. It's always the thief of time. Procrastination is also the thief of souls. It's also the thief of your soul. Don't put off what you know you should do today. Do not do it. You know, it's like Wimpy and Popeye. Some of you remember that, right? I'll pay you. Give me a hamburger today, and I'll pay you next Tuesday. Quit procrastinating. When you procrastinate, man, that's a sin. It really is. God wants you to, if, if we wait for a convenient season to be saved, listen, Satan will see to it that we never get saved. I promise you that. He will do that. Every Sunday, you say, I'll get saved next Sunday. I'll get saved next Sunday. You might sit there and white knuckle the back of that pew and know that you need to ask Christ into your heart and to be saved. And you say, well, I'll, I'll wait till next Sunday. Maybe it'll be a better time. And you'll do that every, and there will always be a next Sunday, always. You'll never come around to being saved as long as you keep putting it off and waiting and waiting and waiting. And here's the thing. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not down the road, not a year down the road. Today, come as you are. Come today. Ask Jesus to save you today. Can you do that? Can you ask Jesus to save you today? In your living room, ask him to save you today. Quit putting it off. He hears you loud and clear. He hears you better than you can hear me. Come to Jesus, all that are, that are weak and heavy laden. He says, I will give you rest. You want rest for your soul? You want to know that you matter to God? Listen, come to him and say, Jesus, I give my all to you. Jesus, I come to you. I humble myself before you. I want to be saved today, not next Sunday, not next year. Do it. Oh, listen, don't put it off. Don't put it off. Too many people do that. We put it off. The Bible says today, now is the acceptable time of the Lord. Now, this very moment, you may not have the next moment. You might not have the next second. You might not have the next minute or hour or day or week or year or years. Listen, you may not have it, it might not come to you. Don't wait. Quit waiting. Quit putting it off. Ask Jesus Christ to come in your heart and to save you today, right now where you sit. He hears you. He's always listening. He's that kind of God. He loves you with everlasting love. He died on a cross. He shed his blood for you. He wants you to be saved right now, not later. I used to love watching Billy Graham crusades. Some of you, I watch. I know you guys used to watch them and love them, you know. You know what I loved about Billy Graham when he gave an invitation? He never asked people to come. 
You watch, you listen to his invitation. He never asks them, he never asks them to come. He tells them to come. He doesn't ask them, like, oh, if you feel like you can do it, come down to the altar and be saved, right? I never hear Billy Graham say it. He says, get up out of your chair right now and come on down to the altar. Somebody will, I want to speak to you. We will pray for you. And if you've been to Billy Graham Crusade, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We serve a very direct God. And he doesn't say, he says a whole lot in his word. But when he speaks to your heart, he speaks very directly. He says, come. And if you come, he's, he's there. He's not telling you to come, not to be there, to save you. Just like he was with Paul. He's sovereign. He knows what you need before you think of that. He knows you need salvation. Just come as you are today. Don't wait. Don't put it off. There may not be a tomorrow for you. I don't say it to scare you, but I hope it does scare you. <laughs> come today. Come. Come. And listen, church, we all must speak to the Felixes in our life. That's the other side. We're Christian brothers and sisters. We have a mouth. We have the Word of God in our hearts. We hide the Word of God in our hearts so that we don't sin against God, but we also hide the Word of God in our hearts so that we have an answer for the hope that's within us, right? Peter said that. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that's within you. Christian, are you ready to give the answer for the hope that's within you today? I ask you. Ask, listen, are you ready? There's Felixes out there. And he was a governor. There's people all around you that need to hear what you have inside your heart. You have the cure for every disease, every sickness, every trouble, every financial disaster, every relational disaster. You have the answers inside. There's only one person that can fix it. There's only one person that can heal you. There's only one person that can fix everything in your life, and that is Jesus the Son of the living God. Ask Him to come into your heart. Ask Him to save you from yourself. Ask God to use you to be the His mouthpiece in the world that's lost and dying without Him. That's what we ask. So what do we have to do between God's promise and His perfection? This is what we do. Trust in God's sovereignty today. He will do us right, especially when we don't know what to do in between. He will never lead us astray. He will lead us down the right path that we have as we walk in obedience humbly before him. Number two, keep your conscience clean, folks. Keep them clean, keep them clean, keep them clean before God and before who? And before man. Listen, read your Bible. Pray. Confess your sin. Go to church, right? Witness to the lost. That's our mission. That's what we're supposed to do. Then next for us and for you and I, it's the fulfillment of or his perfection. There comes a day that's coming that when you exhaust all the potential in, God's going to have the time. It's not going to be earlier or later. Listen, God has an appointed time for you to come to me in his presence, and he's not going to take you one moment sooner. He's going to take you at the appointed time that Jesus has already written down in the eternity above that you're going to come because he's sovereign. Just like he told Paul he's going to go to Rome. He could have been killed many, many times over. But God's divine sovereignty kept Paul alive because God had a mission and a plan for him, and it didn't feel good all the time, folks. This is not a feel-good salvation. It's not a feel-good walk with Jesus. 
Jesus always emphasized you will struggle, you will have tribulation, there will be trials, and there will be troubles and stuff in your life. There's sicknesses, there's beatings, there's hurting, there's tongue lashings, there's all kinds of stuff. But listen, Jesus wants you to be faithful to him, just like he's faithful to you. Amen? Let's pray together. Bow your heads. I don't know what your need is, but God knows already what your need is. Please give it to him today. Jesus, we thank you for this sweet time together. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that no matter where we're at, no matter what we're doing, we can come to you and give our whole being to you, God. Uh, Lord, it's my prayer for others out there that are contemplating putting things off. Lord, let us stop putting things off. Let us trust you by the little mustard seed of faith that we have today that you're going to see us through that, Lord, that we can commit our lives solely to you, completely to you. Everything that we have, we give it to you today, Jesus. I pray for that one person or many people, Lord, today that need to make a commitment to you, Jesus. That need to surrender their life and their will and their emotions to you and be saved. Save somebody today by just a simple little prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I need to be saved today. Today. Not tomorrow, Jesus. Today. Lord, come into my heart. Come into my life. Rescue me from myself. Lord, I trust you, Jesus, as my Savior, dying on the cross for me, shedding your blood for me. I trust you, Lord. I trust you alone, Jesus, to save me. I don't know what to do, Jesus. I'm asking you just to come into my heart and save me right now. I thank you, Jesus for coming in. I believe you died for me and you rose from the dead just for me. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into my life today. I trust you as my Savior. I turn from all the stuff, Jesus, I've been doing wrong. Lord, I need your help in that. Help me to turn around and to do the right thing and to chase you and to follow you and to, get, and, and to, and to learn more about you so that I can chase you with everything that I am because, Lord, I thank you for saving me, for wiping my slate completely clean. Lord, give me a fresh new start. Lord, for coming. I thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. And Lord, maybe there's some there as a Christian, Lord, they know. They haven't been trusting in the sovereign Lord. They've been working it themselves rather than abiding in you and allowing you to do the work. Father, touch them. Let them ask for you. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me for not trusting in you. Forgive me for not having a clean conscience, not trusting in the sovereignty of God. Lord, I come to you now. I repent of that sin. Lord, help me from this moment forward to fully rely on you, God, to trust you with all that I am for all that you are in me and through me. I thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me of my trust for you. And God, use me for the greatest ability. Give me the to fulfill the mission you have destined for me to walk in your footsteps. Lord, you have ordered my footsteps, Lord. I believe that today. Help me to walk in them. And God, I thank you for it all. For it's in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said what? Amen. Listen, I want to thank each and every one of you for being with us today. I pray that the message, uh, I know it's speaking to my heart. I can't hardly see up here. My eyes are all watered up. But I'm going to tell you something. You know, Jesus is real. And he wants to uh, be your comforter. He wants to be your savior. He wants to be your help, your ever-present help in time of need. He's always there. He hears every prayer, and he wants to meet you right where you're at. 
And if there's anything that we at Hills Church can do for you, don't hesitate to call the church. Don't hesitate to call us. Don't hesitate to reach out. Let us know how we can be of help to you, uh, to lead you along the way. And so we will be there for you. I promise you we'll be there for you. Anyway, I'm excited. Uh, next Saturday, 1130, it was Tim Balin's uh, going home celebration we're going to have. And then on Sunday, uh, we're going to have worship at 1030. No Sunday school, nothing like that. We're just going to come into the sanctuary and have our worship service here. Wear your mask. If you've got a mask, wear it. Come on in. Find you a good seat here where a bulletin uh, or a Sunday paper will be. That's where you will sit. And let's just join each other. We can't shake hands, hug, nothing like that. We're going to be so tempted to do that, right, because we missed each other so much because I'm a huggy kind of guy, right? So, uh, but I know i got to refrain, so I guess I stick my hands in my pockets or whatever. So anyway, we'll do what we can do, right? We'll be safe, and uh, we're just trusting the Lord for everything, right? Love you all. Thank you so much. Have a great Memorial Day weekend. We love you. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Wednesday night.